Hi, everybody, and welcome to Macro Markets with Guggenheim Investments, where we invite leaders from our investment team to offer their analysis of the investment landscape and the economic outlook. I'm Jay Diamond, Head of Thought Leadership for Guggenheim Investments, and I'll be hosting today. We are recording this episode on February 15th, 2023. Now, 2023 is off to an interesting start for investors, as the economic data are proving that the path to slower economic growth tighter financial conditions, and lower inflation, all of which the Fed is trying to accomplish, will not be proceeding in straight-line fashion. As a result, markets have been pretty volatile. Now, helping us to explain this environment from a portfolio management perspective is Steve Brown, Chief Investment Officer for Total Return and Macro Strategies for Guggenheim Investments. Steve, along with the rest of the investment team, is responsible for more than $217 billion in assets as of December 31st in institutional accounts, insurance company portfolios, mutual funds, and other products. Steve, welcome back, and thanks for coming to speak with us today. Thanks, Jay. And at least to lead off, I'd like to say at least there's some two-way volatility. It's not uh, continually moving down. We have seen things rebound this year, but it is a challenging environment, as you said. Spoken like a true investor. Now, Steve, to start, uh, let's begin with the economic backdrop, which I know you spend a lot of time uh, thinking about. We got the latest CPI print this week. What was your team's take on that release, and how did markets react? Sure, and and thanks, Jay, and thanks for having me. Uh, The January CPI report largely met expectations on the surface, with headline CPI up half a percent month over month, and core CPI up uh, four-tenths of a percent. By far the biggest driver and continues to be the biggest driver was shelter inflation, which is lagging actual rental market developments and is set to cool down, something that the Fed and the market is now widely acknowledging. But a little bit more worrisome uh, was the two other primary inflation buckets. Uh, The first of which, uh, the bucket of core goods, which was driving the increase in inflation over the last uh, two years, more broadly post-COVID, that was up. 0.9% 0.9% on an annualized basis. Uh, this is a category that had been negative over the last couple of months. And driving those gains was an increase in apparel, appliances, and prescription drugs. Uh, the other inflation bucket, uh, perhaps a little bit more worrisome, is services prices excluding shelter, which the Fed is looking at as the core of core inflation. Revisions to seasonal factors show that this measure decelerated less than previously thought into the end of 2022 with the newly revised data showing a 3.1% annualized rate through December compared to the previous estimate of 1.2%. And January data shows a reversal of that deceleration rising to 5.2% on a three-month annualized basis. Uh, The point being we're seeing volatile uh, data releases. We're seeing pin risk around these data releases. And everyone in the market is trying to extrapolate shorter-term moves into longer term trends. So for now, we continue to believe that the underlying factors for lower inflation over the course of the year remain in place, including supply chain normalization, improving labor market balance, ultimately cooling economic growth in a softer uh, real estate and rental market. But the issues I just mentioned show that the path to lower inflation will not be in a straight line as you let off with, and that the Fed will be far from convinced that the battle so far is won. Markets were mixed in the wake of these data points, as well as the jobs number that came out last week and the retail sales number that came out today. 
Yields rose across the curve and equities suffered as the market is considering how the Fed's reaction function could affect the course of monetary policy. How does this new set of data points play into our longer-term view of the economy and the possible range of outcomes from here for monetary policy? Our longer-term view hasn't really changed all that much. And as we let off with, these trends are broadly moving in the right direction and the direction the Fed wants them to go. Um, however, resilient labor market data and services inflation means that the Fed is not convinced that their job is done. At the same time, concerns over the lags of monetary tightening argue for a more cautious approach to policy, and the Fed has been one of the first ones to admit that. You know, they're wary of letting financial conditions ease too far and too fast, which would undo the economic impact of their aggressive rate hikes. Even as they eventually pause rate hikes, they will maintain a hawkish rhetoric and try to keep rate hikes on the table. You know, frankly, their decision to move from 50 basis points to 25 basis points might be debated over time, but the bar to change that trajectory is extremely high right now. Um, you know, top of their mind is the 1970s experience of premature easing of monetary policy, causing inflation to reaccelerate. Now, they'll need overwhelming evidence that inflation has come down and will stay down, which means not only will they need to see several months of cooler inflation readings, they also will likely need to see a weaker labor market to ensure that wage growth moderates and takes the pressure off of underlying inflation. Yeah, their communication has made it clear that they're aware of the elevated recession risk and business cycle risk, uh, but they see the risk of letting inflation expectations become unanchored as more dangerous and a greater risk to that of, of economic growth. So again, it's unlikely that they'll pivot quickly, regardless of whether they get to five and a quarter, five and a half, whatever the terminal rate is, you're only a few rate hikes likely away from that point. Uh, and that's what was driving the market reaction last year and, and part of what will feed into how we're thinking about this year and the path forward. So with this economic backdrop, what are some of the market themes that you're seeing developing? The broadly better market conditions that you've seen for at least about the last six months within credit and fixed income, and, and even actually going back to the middle part of last year, comes to my first comment about the speed of the policy change and the totality of the policy change. So embedded in, uh, in all of this is the implied and actual volatility uh, in the markets, and in particular, and in the interest rate markets. So uh, as you've seen greater market acceptance uh, to the level at which interest rates would peak. Uh, you've seen implied interest rate volatility peak and substantially come off of the highs. You know, that's fleet, uh, bleeding into, into confidence uh, to asset allocators. That's led to uh, tighter mortgage spreads, tighter corporate credit spreads, basically anything that could be keyed off of the risk sentiment towards the bond market. And so that so far this year has meant that spreads have tightened, uh, absolute returns are positive, uh, and that's um, kind of almost exacerbated, if you will, by a change in some of the technicals, which we'll probably get to later in this podcast. Part of the Fed's goal is to slow the economy down. What are you seeing in corporate credit fundamentals right now? You know, I think as we look at the broader health of, of the credit markets, most of the signals we see uh, are positive. Um, when you think about where the credit markets are and things like leverage ratios, coverage ratios, ca levels of cash. You know, those are all uh, at a very normal level 
or in the case of coverage ratios and the ability for issuers to service their liabilities. Uh, in fact, they're very high. So um, as we think about the path forward, clearly the market is looking at potentially this time period as being one of peak margins or peak earnings. So issuers are in a good spot. Uh, what you haven't fully seen, of course, is the impact of uh, this tightening cycle, given its pace and the totality of the moves uh, and the fact that issuers have been very opportunistic in moving out their maturity walls and extending their liability duration. Uh, you know, it will take time for that to flow through uh, into earnings as debt rolls over and as issuers have to to pay higher costs of capital. You know, it'll be felt disproportionately across the credit markets. And one of the themes I want to articulate today is, you know, our desire and our intention to be uh, higher quality. Because while um, we can all have disparate views on the economic trajectory and, and the evolution of the markets this year, we do think security selection uh, and a focus on quality is the prudent thing to do in light of all of the uncertainty. Talk to me about the technical side of the market, which is also an important element of what you're seeing in terms of market activity right now. Yeah, there are a couple technical factors, and that's a good point and a good question. You know, when you think back to last year and, and part of my lead-in comments, you know, really last year, um, you know, it, it paid to be a, a buyer, right, and in volatility. There were more sellers, generally speaking, than buyers. Um, there were there was muted issuance, uh, particularly in the high yield market, for example. There was a little bit more of a normal amount of issuance in investment grade credit, but issuers uh, picked their parts of the maturity curve a little differently than they had in prior years. I mentioned them opportunistically extending out the maturity profile of their liabilities. Last year was one where they were issuing more shorter maturity uh, debt because they didn't frankly, didn't want to stomach the cost of longer maturity debt and, and lock in those yields for longer. You know, you've also had, given the increase in interest rates, some big cohorts of the market like uh, DB corporate plans and the like, where you're trying to immunize a set of liabilities, the profile of fixed income and the reintroduction of a significant amount of income into fixed income and high yields has changed the value proposition. Uh, for some of these longer-term, larger investors. And so there's been a uh, a real bid for long-duration, high-quality, uh, high-yielding, uh, high-grade credit. Uh, and in other parts of the market, last year were dominated by outflows from mutual funds. This year, uh, that story has shifted, and you are seeing significant inflows into the market. So uh, a lot of asset allocators have had the time to digest these very significant moves in yields and uh, really have kind of shifted their view on the relative attractiveness of fixed income. And I think it's important to note too that if we are entering a regime where volatility within fixed income is coming down and maybe the no more normal correlation between both yields and spreads, which tend to move a counter to each other, as well as bond prices and equity prices, which also can have periods of, of moving counter to each other. The attributes of fixed income having correlation benefits and yield and income enhancement to a, a multi-asset portfolio are, are kind of back in play now, all of which I think is is constructive 
uh, for credit, for spreads, and and for fixed income more broadly. And clearly, there are still some some tailwinds behind you uh, with relatively lower supply and growing demand, at least relative to last year. The fixed income market has many components to it, and not all the sectors are behaving the same way. So. Walk us through, if you would, you know, what you're seeing in spreads and yields across the different sectors that you look at on a regular basis. Yeah, I mean, if you, we've been on quite a quite a journey, if you will, even over the last five or six months. When you think back to when did the risk markets, you know, kind of at least bottom for the near term or or for now, and when were spreads the widest? It was really at the end of Q3 and, and the beginning of Q4. You know, since then you have seen. Uh, a recovery uh, that has not been equal, as you said, across the different fixed income sectors. What led the way originally was um, the the asset classes with the kind of highest beta to that interest rate volatility uh, theme I was leading with. So uh, mortgage spreads, uh, agency mortgage spreads normalized, uh, relatively speaking, uh, the quickest, as did um, higher beta investment grade corporate credit. So kind of the index level beta themes, if you will, played out in the most um, liquid and largest uh, credit indices. Uh, you know, you've also seen a pretty uh, healthy recovery in IO corporate bonds. Uh, where you haven't seen uh, the a fast recovery has been in the asset classes that we're focusing on the most right now, particularly within non-agency securitized credit. So that includes things like commercial asset-backed securities, uh, corporate asset-backed securities, non-agency, residential mortgage-backed securities, uh, sectors that tend to be relatively wide to uh, uh, like quality assets in corporate credit. But in particular, when you see moves that are very uh, substantial in corporate credit markets, the lag effect, both on the widening front and on the tightening front is particularly pronounced in these smaller sectors where ultimately we think you're getting paid for structure and complexity rather than a truly different credit risk profile. And so the relationships between structured credit spreads and corporate credit spreads look very wide and very cheap to us. And that's the type of risk we'd like to focus on right now rather than market risk or beta risk, which was much more attractive at the end of Q3 or at the beginning of Q4 and is a little bit less so attractive now. Uh, Steve, give us an example of the sector pairs, if you will, between a structured credit and a similarly rated corporate credit where you said spreads are wide. Yes, there's an ABS index uh, uh, that we follow that isn't you know, purely representative of what we own by any means. But if you were to compare that spread to the investment grade corporate index, so it's they're both investment grade indices to begin with, one is ABS, one is corporate credit. The current spread differential between those two is almost 150 basis points. To use round numbers, you can buy the corporate credit index at a 150 spread, uh, you know, and tack on whatever baseline yield you want to use. So let's just say it's five and a half percent yield. Uh, you can invest closer to seven percent or 300 over spread by going into that securitized um, asset category. So that is a uh, relationship that in some cases can even be negative, uh, meaning the differential between the two can be negative over time. And so that is a very wide relationship. And when we look on a time-weighted basis, 
you know, only 10 or so percent of the time is that relationship wider than it is today and only in periods of significant stress and volatility. So that's the type of longer term relationship that looks off to us uh, that we would like to capitalize on that. So um, given uh, what you've uh, summarized here for us, how are you thinking generally about portfolio construction, asset allocation? What kind of moves are you making in your portfolios right now? How does this all come together uh, from a portfolio management perspective? As we've articulated, clearly there are both headwinds and tailwinds and a lot of uncertainty more broadly surrounding the environment that we're in. So I think the best way to uh, take advantage of the market opportunity right now is is in some of those categories I already mentioned uh, in securitized, where you can upgrade portfolio quality and do so without even a give on a spread basis or on a yield basis, or even in some cases add spread or yield to a portfolio. You know, that, that makes sense in almost every scenario we can lay out. Um, you know, not having too significant of a weighting to, um, you know, deeply subordinated or really low credit quality that we think is also, uh, it's not just an average quality uh, game here or a barbell, but we are clearly in an uncertain environment and one where downgrades are starting to outpace upgrades. Uh, you know, the economic trajectory is uncertain and, and Fed policy is generally a headwind and certainly not a tailwind. So that advocates for being more selective. In fact, if you look at, for example, within the high yield corporate bond index, we're seeing a lot more dispersion at the issuer level, meaning comparing all the different issuers in the index to each other than we are at the industry level. So put another way, there are certainly industries that we think are more at risk in this environment than others, but the market isn't really pricing a high degree of differential there. Uh, but what they are pricing a high degree of differential in is quality and in capital structures. So there are good companies uh, with bad capital structures. Uh, you know, there are good industries um, with companies with bad capital structures. So security selection, prioritizing issuers that aren't extremely levered uh, and have a high um, quality of earnings and the ability to kind of weather the storm depending on how you want to define that, whether it's the economic storm, the tighter financial policy storm, higher interest rate storm, that's increasingly more and more important as we transition from this period. And uh, given what you're seeing out there and the risks as you think about them, uh, do you feel that, that what you're seeing is available in the market is compensating you for the risks that you're taking? Not in every market, which I think highlights why sector allocation will continue to be important uh, and and governing your overall risk budget will be important. It's not like everything is cheap or everything is rich. We certainly think that there are plenty of markets within uh, fixed income that are cheap. And then when you look at fixed income as a whole, fixed income as a whole is as cheap as it's been in 20, 25 years. Last year, no one wants to repeat and part of the attractiveness of fixed income now is on the heels of record-setting losses for fixed income indices last year. Um, but that really does change the symmetry of returns going forward, in our opinion. So, Steve, what else is on your mind nowadays and you and your team? What are the themes are you focusing on as you go about your day every day? Clearly, it's an uncertain time and one where 
the various data releases around inflation, employment, growth. You know, there are a lot of risks we haven't mentioned. Uh, you know, the debt ceiling, uh, political risk, geopolitical risk. The, the list of worries is quite long. So focusing on our uh, performance objectives for our clients, uh, looking at the relative valuations across sectors, really prioritizing value and, and ultimately loss remote value uh, is the kind of best path we see forward to generating attractive returns uh, for our clients and, and ultimately mitigating downside risks. So uh, being nimble in your approach, not relying on one underlying thesis or one having pin risk in your views, you know, are all things that cause us to constantly reevaluate our decisions, how we make our decisions and and the views that are driving those decisions. You mentioned pin risk a couple of times. That's a new term for me. What exactly does that mean? When you think about it literally, you know, sticking a, a pin in a, in a certain event or, or data point, if you think about it's associated with kind of an, an anchoring of views, if you have one trade or one uh, expression of a view that is kind of predicated on one data point or one outlook looking right, uh, you know, and, and if that's wrong, then everything else unravels, I think is the main point I'm, I'm trying to get across that you can't have a high degree of comfort in one underlying view and you have to incorporate, uh, the fact that, uh, there could be some dispersion around your view. And then ultimately, what does that mean? And what is the knock on effect to a trade, a strategy, a, you know, an asset allocation decision, et cetera. Thank you for that. Before I let you go, what would you want folks to walk away with after listening to this podcast? Thanks, Jay, again for having me. And, and thank you to all of our listeners. Now is the time for active management. There are sectors that will come in and out of favor, uh, industries that will be disproportionately affected by whatever the future holds or issuers that will be disproportionately affected. So uh, this is a time that will require not a one size uh, fits all approach to asset allocation or risk budgeting. And in an environment where fixed income yields are extremely high uh, relative to their more recent history and where spreads in some asset classes look extremely attractive and others less so, uh, you know, trying to proportionally weight them and make the active rotation decisions, I think ultimately will help to drive results for for our clients and constituents like ourselves. So thank you for having me. Well, thank you again, Steve, for your time. Uh, please come back and visit again with us soon. Thank you, Jay. Thanks for having me. And thanks to all of you who have joined us for our podcast. If you like what you are hearing, please rate us five stars. And if you have any questions for Steve or any of our other podcast guests, please send them to macromarkets at guggenheiminvestments.com and we will do our best to answer them on a future episode or offline. I'm Jay Diamond, and we look forward to gathering again for the next episode of Macro Markets with Guggenheim Investments. In the meantime, for more of our thought leadership, visit guggenheiminvestments.com slash perspectives. So long. Important notices and disclosures. One basis point is equal to 0.01%. Investing involves risk, including the possible loss of principal. Stock markets can be volatile, 
Investments in securities of small and medium capitalization companies may involve greater risk of loss and more abrupt fluctuations in market price than investments in larger companies. The market value of fixed income securities will change in response to interest rate changes and market conditions, among other things. Investments in fixed income instruments are subject to the possibility that interest rates could rise, causing their value to decline. High-yield securities present more liquidity and credit risk than investment-grade bonds and may be subject to greater volatility. Investors in asset-backed securities, or ABS, including mortgage-backed securities, or MBS, and collateralized loan obligations, or CLOs, generally receive payments that are part interest and part return of principal. These payments may vary based on the rate loans are repaid. Some asset-backed securities may have structures that make their reaction to interest rates and other factors difficult to predict, making their prices volatile, and are subject to liquidity and valuation risk. CLOs bear similar risk to investing in loans directly, such as credit, interest rate, counterparty, prepayment, liquidity and valuation risks. Loans are often below investment grade, may be unrated, and typically offer a fixed or floating interest rate. This podcast is distributed or presented for informational or educational purposes only and should not be considered a recommendation of any particular security, strategy or investment product, or as investing advice of any kind. This material is not provided in a fiduciary capacity, may not be relied upon for or in connection with the making of investment decisions, and does not constitute a solicitation of an offer to buy or sell securities. The content contained herein is not intended to be and should not be construed as legal or tax advice and or a legal opinion. Always consult a financial tax and or legal professional regarding your specific situation. The opinions contained herein are subject to change without notice. Forward-looking statements, estimates and certain information contained herein are based upon proprietary and non-proprietary research and other sources. Information contained herein has been obtained from sources believed to be reliable, but are not assured as to accuracy. No part of this material may be reproduced or referred to in any form without express written permission of Guggenheim Partners LLC. There is neither representation nor warranty as to the current accuracy of nor liability for decisions based on such information. Past performance is not indicative of future results.